welcome to Listoff. I'm Ozzy. And I'm Nat. And this week, what are we going to be doing, Nat? We're going to be counting down our top five puppets. Been a big fan of puppets since I was a kid, little kid. I think the first puppets I was into were probably Button Moon, TV show Button Moon. Yeah. And I, I remember my parents took me to the button moon live show you know when they do like a tv spin-off live show but because that was a puppet oh, sure. how did they how did they achieve it it was a long time ago i was very small um but um i assume i, I assume they were bigger than the puppets were on the stage because it was it was at the lyric in hammersmith so it was a big you know a big theater and uh yeah i still remember going to the lyric theater like i could still remember that it was probably the only time i went west london i love button moon i found the um the the idea that the moon is a button and you knew that he had a wooden spoon for an arm so it was always like i mean i don't the the sizes of it bothered me as a kid yeah the scales are all off like the scales are off the, the wooden spoon fits inside a tin of beans as a rocket yeah that's just exactly. wouldn't work but that that they don't make my list but that that was definitely the the earliest for me yeah um i i'm a big puppet fan i think i'll, I'll sometimes go uh with some friends not on my own for obvious reasons to the little angel theater in angel um the angel and see their puppets i like in the angel um the i do like sort of the modern kind of contemporary puppet things and puppet shows. Um, and I'm always, and then what's great about those shows is they're made for children, essentially. So usually about 40 minutes, which is exactly the right time before you would probably start getting a bit frustrated watching puppets. It's almost the perfect kind of length of time for a puppet show. They do, they do a really good job there, actually. It's a great little great little theater yeah it's fantastic i love that place and it's just the same as it was when i was a kid like i i went for the first time again with my kids a few years ago and the the room smells the same as it did when i was a kid you know your smell mm. memory is so powerful it's, it smells exactly the same it's pretty amazing to have a puppet theater you know in in, in the same exactly it's been, been there all this time i'd recommend it to people and you can go and it's not no, not just for kids yeah. often when you're not with kids they sort of sit you at the back which is fair enough yeah. you're taller than yeah. other kids and uh you know, you know no it's a not, great not, not yeah. their seats for adults it's a great place it's a fantastic place would you have did you find it hard making the list um i suspect my problem with this one will be that i will come up with more later on mm. I, that's what i feel like button moon crossed my mind um and I uh, and I like it, but it didn't really make the list. There's no and again, it's diff- yeah, it is a difficult one to do because again, you're sort of cri- creating your own own criteria for what the list is, and what you want on the list, and what you want represented. Um, and to do it, it, it's almost I'm kind of some of them I'm probably fit in a kind of uh square into a circle of what what they represent and things and some some of the puppets represent more than their own more than the sum of their own parts i'd say in some of my choices do you want to kick us off at number five sure my number five is mr punch 
Um, and, and, you know, I don't like him as a person. I don't think I'd like him if I met him. Um, he's a bad puppet. But I think the Punch and Judy stuff is so endlessly fascinating. Um, and, and not just the Punch and Judy, I'm sort of obsessed with the kind of the, the, uh, the production of Punch and Judy, I find really fascinating. And this idea that it's this old kind of street performance that's from Italy, I believe, originally. It's sort of very old, that's been brought over to the UK and now seems very intrinsically almost seaside British, but is is sort of very odd and unsettling and is essentially about a man who beats up his wife with a stick uh, at its high comedy. Um, and I like all the um, uh, the butchers, uh, the dog, the uh, Judy, the sausages. Um, I like that uh, that whole so- that whole um, the sort of display and the idea that you're watching a kind of piece of theatre inside a box. And I, I like all that how how sort of theatrical it is. It sort of fascinates me enough that I'm kind of. It's one of those things I, I keep thinking about projects involving Punch and Judy people, and I find the idea as well that it's a, it's a thing which is like a folk tradition and almost like an oral tradition, where everyone's telling the same story but they're different puppeteers, and that's sort of why it's it's sort of so low on my list is because, it's that thing where a lot of things with puppets is that you're talking about the puppet and also the performance of the puppet or the puppeteer. And it isn't that. So the puppet itself represents something, but it's like a sort of folk tradition. It's more like a sort of song or something. It's it's interpreted by lots of different people in this character. Um, And I find that fascinating. I also find it weird that it's that puppeteering, especially with Mr. Punch, is that you're a performer and with all puppetry, but you're not on display. I find that really interesting. And as someone who does some performing themselves, I find that interesting that it's a sort of egoless um, performance. Yeah. And it doesn't involve you. You could have the biggest. So much, but it does. You could have the biggest puppet, you know, Punch and Judy show in the country in 1850, and still people mm-hmm. wouldn't see your face. You, you know, you'd be. Only yeah. if they stayed around to you were packing up your your barrow to wheel away or whatever. And just be completely anonymous. And I think it does. It fits in, you know, something like that associate Punch and Judy, like Box of Delights, which involves a Punch and Judy man. The Tony Hancock film, The Punch and Judy Man. Um, everything about it, I do find it's so kind of ingrained in me mm. from a kid and how odd it is. I made punch and judy puppets in primary school off of my own back is when i when i said i'd often be left alone to my own device in primary school i was i was kind of the teachers seemed to think that i knew most of the stuff already so if you kind of just knew you could sort of display that you could do your times tables or whatever mm. it was like while they're teaching the other kids what do you want to do and i'd often go can i make a pop-up book i'll learn how to make a pop-up book and i'd go through pop-up books and learn the mechanics of that so i'd do that while other kids were doing more boring stuff and i remember once i was uh i decided i wanted to make punch and judy men so i made papier mache punch and judy heads and things um so from a little kid it's always been something that has been 
uh, an interest to me. Um, and that I think the reason it's not higher on my list is is just that really that I, I find a lot of the things with puppets that I like is often that it's the puppeteer and the puppet, mm. whereas Mister Punch is more like now it's just an it's a bit of iconography, isn't it? That sort of represents something rather than it being um, the performance itself. Yeah, it's like Hamlet. You know what I mean? It's like mm. uh, it's a it's a classic role but you don't know the actor yeah. most of the time and you don't, yeah. It's an absolute classic puppet. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yes. My number five is also a very famous puppet. Uh, it's uh, Kermit T. Frog uh, from The Muppet Show and from Sesame Street. I, the, I've got to have Kermit because he's just the most expressive, I think of all these puppets or one of the most expressive because of his spindly arms, you know, where he's like, you know, wiggles them all around on the end of his poles and his kind of very maneuverable neck and in mouth is kind of beak, whatever, you know, it just, he can do so much. And Jim Henson was such a master puppeteer that he could convey such a crazy range of emotion and reactions with him. I mean, you think this is a character that's like very, calm and collected and then completely freaks out you know and he can do the full spectrum and he spends so much time like oh yeah that's cool okay that's good all right okay and then you know having these like screaming freak outs on the opposite end of the spectrum and and marry that all up into a character that really works it's just incredible he's he was he started in 1955 um on the on the salmon friends I've seen some very early, I presume, I don't know if it's even before he's called Kermit, but there are some adverts that were made with Jim Henson, obviously voicing a frog character who looks like a prototype Kermit. I don't know when they date from, but they're certainly pre, pre Muppets. Yeah. He has him on, 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 on the salmon friends, five minute puppet show that aired twice daily on WRC TV. And he's and he and the quote from him is that they made the first comment from his, his one of his mother's old coats with real ping pong balls for his eyes and that was it you know like a real <laughs> like homemade thing and that that goes on to be maybe the most famous puppet in the world you know it's just incredible and uh, yeah you know Jim Henson voiced and puppeteered him until his death and in uh, in the early nineties and then. The guy Steve Whit Whitmire take took over and everything, and I think he's still doing it. And yeah, just an incredible character that I, you know, so many of us got so much love for. And uh, yeah, he you know five is quite a low placing for him in a way, but uh, he's just the most incredible character. I always like the way which I think Kermit the Frog and I guess the other Muppets kind of taught kids how to puppet. I, and I think well, the, the best thing about their thing is when they're silent, they kind of move yeah. and it's the sort of bobbing up and down or the slightly, you know, there's no power in a still puppet. Yeah. A still puppet looks dead where it's always that thing about the sort of bobbing or something almost used to signify breathing or something that sort of really gave life to puppets. And I think there's, it's almost um, growing up in an era that is, is, is post Muppets. I don't know who did it before, but it feels like you would sometimes get on kids' TV puppeteers that would do that. They just weren't as skilled. Mm. 
and they would often just be completely still yeah. and i'd find it in and it, it, you would actually find it quite disturbing because it would feel like has the the puppet night or something yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, there's something quite and and there's so much life in in that they, they just obviously noticed it's that it's that way that they i think jim henson filmed them where the puppeteers are you know they have a little tv i think at, yeah, at there underneath so they they so it makes sense that they can do it whereas there's this often i think you know the likes of your gordon the gophers are red the ducks that were perfectly good puppets but or probably lesser ones that are probably done by um low-paid production staff of the bbc mm. or, or reading out birthdays or something they're probably done by runners mm. that have no skills and often they have this really odd life to them they don't particularly um work as puppets yeah they're literally just under a desk they can't see the monitor and they can't tell where they should be or anything like that they're just doing a thing blind no i'm sure that's true but for me as i'm more of a sesame street fan than a than a muppets fan muppet show fan mm -hmm. so so for me like you know my favorite kermit in a lot of ways is well, he's great in the films but i love him in in uh, in sesame street being you know being reporting for sesame street news but mostly being in his house on sesame street in his apartment and grover coming to the door to try and sell him things that he doesn't need that i just love that like i love him as like the kind of sort of patient but increasingly grumpy exasperated frog you know turning away grover and squashing his nose in the door love it <laughs> absolutely love kermit my number four is Basil Brush. And it isn't it isn't a puppet I would necessarily have always said, oh, I love Basil Brush. Certainly a constant presence of my youth. Uh, but the, I think I appreciate Basil Brush the older I get. Um, and I think it's because it's a, such a well-defined character and such a well-defined kind of comic character as well that you know exactly what Basil Brush thinks. And essentially what he is, he's like, he's not just a, uh, he's not just a sort of puppet fox. He is almost like an upper class puppet fox. He, he's, he's almost certainly modeled on someone like Terry Thomas right. and plays that same sort of part. Um, and as a kid, I liked Basil Brush, but he was then off air for an awful lot of it. And I didn't, think an awful lot about him mm. and then when they sort of bring back his series later and he's he then gets a new kind of puppeteer um but he's someone who's trying to ape or trying to recreate the sort of 70s 80s era basil brush yeah um he um those shows were so kind of wild and i i'd watch him go this is good this is good stuff and a couple of years ago, he was on, um, uh, he did a show at the Edinburgh Festival. And it was one of those things where I had to see it. I just found it like the idea of being in the same room as, as a rush, I found really exciting. <laughs> and, and as much as anything else, it's just that thing where out of nowhere, I didn't really realize how much I liked it. And, and one of the things I think about Basil Brush is how great Basil Brush would be to write for. Mm. in the way that you would write for you know um you know like a, a sort of tv personality or mm. something it is his his persona is so well defined for someone who isn't real 
that I it would it would kind of be easy and uh, like a pleasure to write for. Mm. And in a way, it's not like there's a lot about Basil Brush now that doesn't really work as a character, and it is it is kind of old fashioned, and to the point where it's a bit this. It, it can be a bit cringy, but I'm just, it's more that it's a character that's created and still has this real um, strong uh, persona mm. that feels like um, as strong as something like a, um, a, a Basil Fawlty or, a, um, or any of the sort of great kind of, sort of character actors that play the same person it's that sort of it is fairy he is fairy terry thomas or something mm. it is that it's he's incredibly well defined and it was just that there was a genuine excitement of like that edinburgh it, and it's also like a sort of silly thing to buy tickets for in edinburgh because it's one of those things which is almost like tourist trap thing that's just designed to sell tickets a bit of a stunt but yet when when i was going and i had a few days in edinburgh that's the first thing i booked it's like i want to see what this basil brush show is like because you also want to go how do you how is basil brush doing a an hour in edinburgh <laughs> and i assume with basil brush has been through quite a few performers yeah i think only a couple though i think okay. i think you've got one guy who did it in the 70s and i think there's the guy who has him now who is now like the uh the the basil brush puppeteer mm. that's that's quite amazing considering yeah it's it's you know probably 50 years when you saw him live was was the puppeteer visible or was he under a desk under a desk wow. i assume how long was the show uh an hour. Ouch, an hour. Ouch. I couldn't <laughs> yeah, do you that. You've got to think of knees. I couldn't do that. I couldn't stay <laughs> under a desk for an hour. Maybe in a like a nuclear bomb like problem. I could stay under sure. a desk for an hour. But other than that. I mean that that's the thing about all puppeteers. They're all puppeting. It's that kind of you don't really ever think of the a person. It's always just not uh, if they're doing it right. Yeah. My number four is a cheat, because it's two characters. Um it's another Jim Henson one. It's a theme coming. Even more than that, it's a it's a Frank Oz one. It's Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street. And I think for me, like Jim Henson and Frank Oz are like the two titans of of puppetry in my life and decade before or two. And um that's their greatest double act for me. Better than Kermit and Fozzie Bear for me is 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 Ernie and Bert, and just as as two men living together in New York in their basement apartment at one two three Sesame Street, they're two very different guys. You know, they're set up as a contrast, but they have this lovely relationship with the of the very nice, eager to please, like you know, soft spoken. Um, you know, Ernie, you know, be like, oh, hey, Bert, um, you know, what are you doing? And that's just so, that's just, it's the most Jim Henson sort of soft and, and agreeable and chilled kind of eager to please character. And then you've got the very Frank Oz character of Bert, who is, you know, kind of ah, grumpy and oh, what are you doing? That kind of like the real kind of, that's to me, like when I went to New York for the first time when I was 19 or something, that's what it felt like. I was like, I went to New York. That's where Bert lives. Everyone in New York is like Bert. 
you know like everyone and they kind of are they're all like hey what are you doing you know this guy like that's yeah. that's but they all have big eyebrows and they're like i'm walking here that kind of, that's just that's like ernie's more like a he's more like a san francisco guy i didn't meet anyone in new york like ernie but bert is just new york and he's everywhere one of the great strengths of sesame street is that it's set in a real place and it's a and it's a place that is is definable and um and everyone's aware of that place from movies and things even though it's probably for something which is such a cartoonish version of it always feels very real and believably well, new york it's, it's it's brooklyn you know it's it's specifically brooklyn and it's like and it's all residential there's no it's not like new york the big apple here's the, here's the empire state building you know like we're going to coney island and it's just no it's just like a a, a residential street in brooklyn and with real looking sidewalks you know like it, it it's just a set but it looks it the it looks solid enough and it gives you this distillation of kind of new york and i oh, just just love it so much and burton ernie just i wouldn't have i was gonna have one or the other and i couldn't no neither one of them was good enough to get on the list on their own but together they're just magic and they got some of the best songs they made one of my favorite christmas songs which will probably turn up in a christmas list at some point you know i got records of theirs behind me sitting there you know they it's I, it's amazing that they could do all that singing in voices in in character you know like i can't believe that you know i, I if you try and do but for long right your voice hurt right <laughs> to sing with that you know imagine doing like 10 takes of a song in voices but that's just incredible yeah yeah they're just and you know there's the whole like you know are they a gay couple sort of thing it's like if if you think they are then they totally are i think that's the yeah that's the the answer to that but they absolutely are two men living together and being very nice to each other and yeah you know taking their own prized possessions to the pawn shop in order to buy a christmas present for the other the other one i think that's where where double acts you know work really well that was that thing with morecambe wise wasn't it that they were living together so they'd almost make a virtue of it and have them share a double bed and things because yeah. it's like that we're, we're that's what we are we're like they're sort of the same person yeah. but in two different split in two yeah it's, it's otherwise it's a hassle you have to be like oh, one of them's going around to the other one's house and then we have a sketch it's no they live together it's that's cool it works you know yeah yeah absolutely love them so yeah more of the same no great choice that's an excellent choice uh, my number three i guess is also a cheat in a way it's uh sweep uh the dog from sooty and sweep and i do it to kind of represent uh uh sooty and sweep and the sooty gang including sue of course uh i think sooty and sweep again much like basil brush i think are so almost like misunderstood as this kind of yeah they're absolutely for children absolutely for children i don't think i appreciated how funny uh the sooty show was until i was about 13 or 14 and i remember sort of catching it once maybe on a day off or a school holiday or something and it was one of the earlier children's itv shows so this would be when i was 13 or 14 sort of too old for mm. sooty and i'd caught one and i really found it funny and so then i remember i'd actually try and get home 
quickly so i'd be in time yes, that's hard to watch the sooty that was, show that was quite early that was a that was a get home. yeah that was an earlier one i could do it i think maybe it started at four so i think i could i could do it i could get there and uh i think it's often these were in the sort of matthew corbett years mm. um uh, i think he was harry corbett first i think was did sort of issue and i think matthew corbett's a son yeah but they were such funny shows um and again sweep is uh, a noisy uh squeaky dog uh so of course the the thing is that he talks much quieter uh he does talk but he only really talks in whispers and uh uh the most talkative member of the, of the crew is sue uh, the panda bear just uh, like the translation something yeah which is always one of those things i liked as a kid that she's sue s double o and it's like oh right yeah because she's from china she's a panda bear and it was the didn't realize it. uh good one yeah whereas you think um i, I it was always a, a a little neat oh i get it she's a panda he's a dog he's a bear there we go we've got a little a little sue um but yeah no i just think it's a great show and again it's something that i could kind of say that later because of how funny i found it at a time when i should be uh uh shrugging it off and being like what an awful show or being being a bit too cool for school i think it was a really genuinely funny show much funnier than shows that were more obviously uh comic based I we do a lot of agreeing with each other on this, right? I'm going to disagree with you here. I really never liked Sooty and Sweep. Never liked any of that. Um, I agree, Sweep's the best one. But I never liked it. I didn't like it as a kid, and I haven't. I haven't found later that I thought it was really good. Maybe I need to reappraise it. But I just that no, it didn't. It, I it was like, ah, oh, when's the good TV going to come on? That that, that it never. <laughs> was something i was into never i think it was i i think it was something i grew out of and then grew back into and i remember being like oh this is really fun that's what this I, is really well done that's what i did with sesame street like i liked sesame street as a little kid and then i was like it's boring i don't want i remember my cousin who's four years younger than me would watch it and i'd be like i don't want to watch sesame street it's so rubbish and then by the time i was like 11 or 12 i was like sesame street is amazing i love the music i love the you know the characters i love the jokes i love i just loved it you know so it you can do that you can like in your in that sort of like i don't know five to ten bit where you're trying to be like no i'm not into that anymore that's for babies and then and lose all these things and then hopefully you can get some of them back but yeah sooty not for me there's something quite funny about a man who is obviously spraying himself with a water pistol whilst uh having a go himself for spraying <laughs> himself with a water pistol. There's something about that sort of, and it is that thing where so much sort of puppetry and certainly like ventriloquism and a lot of that stuff that's done now is done in a, in a sort of uh, slightly ironic kind of postmodern way. Whereas that's something which is doing it as well, but it's not, it doesn't make a big deal of it. It doesn't really wink to the camera. It's almost that what partly what's funny is that you know you're doing this and yet you're having a row with someone telling them whatever you do don't do this thing 
whilst part of your body is literally it's definitely uh, disobeying you. Classic, classic comedy, classic slapstick. Mm. But that show didn't work for me. I wasn't a fan. I like that you've okay. got these kind of classic British things in there, though, because I, I really haven't, um, <laughs> as much as I had all them so, growing up. So what's your number three? My number three, and you may be seeing a pattern emerging here. My number three is a puppet from Frank Oz on Sesame Street, and it is your old buddy Grover. And Grover was probably my number one puppet for a, most of the years of my life, but I've got to rank him as a three now. But um, it, I, it, it, because he's, he's he's funny, but he's more just like lovely. You know, he's just a great guy. He's trying to be nice to everybody. You can watch the clip, um, you know, where he's talking to the little kid and the, the kid says, I love you. And, it, you know, interrupts it, you know, and, and it, he has to react to that. And it, he's, he's genuinely touched, but man, you know, Frank Oz mm. manages to react in character and oh, just, you know, he's like the best intentions. He's, he's always trying to yeah. do things, but he's very bad at doing things. He makes a total mess of them, but he's never being malicious. You know what I mean? So he's, he's, he's incredibly frustrating to Kermit or to the guy who's ordering food, you know, they're like, you know, I want some fast food, you know? And he's like, Nope, you know, it's coming up. And then it shoots off into the distance at fast speed. You know, he's, he's never being mean, but he's just kind of incompetent, but, uh, but lovely. I think some of those interactions that they have with kids, it's almost like magic because you must be, you, there's never a sense that there's a kid ever as kids will be curious at that age. You never get a sense that the kid is ever like looking down or being confused or being, the kid is always interacting with Grover or whoever's talking to them. It's something that's a real proper magic trick that almost should spoil it and you'd almost sort of fear for the kid who's going to go away going oh no i hope their experience of it isn't that these things aren't real you get the impression that these kids take away is that they're absolutely real i remember reading that what they say to them when the kids say why is that man got his hand up you know grover why is he standing underneath grover that kind of thing they say oh well he's helping him they're helping him you know and and that's enough for a lot of kids and it you know, having young kids, it, that can be that kind of thing can be because they want to believe. You know what I mean? So you just mm. give them the, you give them the, the thing, and they're like, okay, you know. But also, even works on us. Like when you're watching, I was watching some clips of Jim Henson on, and and Frank Oz on on uh, on chat shows, right? You know, talking to hosts, and they'd get the puppet out from behind the sofa and do a bit as Kermit or as Cookie Monster or something, you know, and they would be. As soon as they start doing it, you stop looking at the, the performer and you just look at the character because they're so good at it and they put all the life into that and they drain all the life out of themselves. So they're sitting back and kind of, you know, reacting to what the, the puppet says, but they're very kind of modest looking, you know, like you don't, you don't, they don't draw the eye at all. And then the puppet has all this expressive stuff. And it's, yeah, that's the magic is like, don't look at me, look at the puppet. And then when they interact with them, they have to switch it. So when they start saying stuff, back to the puppet they'll they'll uh suddenly become animated and the puppet will go still or just look at the camera or something you know but it's it's absolutely genius the the work they're doing and uh, you know grover has the same thing as kermit in that he has the spindly long arms so he can do these mm. crazy things that 
you know, his his arms are rod rod operated, you know, so they they can do quite a lot, but they don't really work like arms. They're kind of like ribbons with with you know hands at the ends. The hands you basically controlling the hands, but the arms just wiggle around, flap about, right? Yeah. Whereas you know other characters have got a hand in one of their arms, you know, and can do more with that. And uh, that just gives Grover. It's just the little magic things that they do, like you know, his his you know his head can open most of the way up, like Pac Man or whatever, you know, and he could be so expressive of that, and you know, always look up at the ceiling and open his jaw massively, and he's like despairing, and I it's just I love Grover, just love Grover, love him. He's like he's the guy you want to be. He's just he's like he's a good person. Yeah, no, I can see that totally. I think that one of the other clever things is I remember. With the more as a kid you were kind of watching this stuff and seeing the rods, it was more that you'd have to be like, actually, how have they done that? And it was only at that point, it's only at the point that you're trying to figure out how the puppetry is taking place that you notice that there are rods. Yeah, but do you know what yeah, I mean? It's that yeah. sort of that thing you go, Oh, that's how they do it, and it's right in front of me. But they're so good at it that a lot of the time the rods aren't in shot anyway, because the hands will be like just at the bottom of the camera. So the, the bottom of the hand where the rod is is never there, you know? It's like like Big Bird has a has a one arm has a you know Carol Spinney's arm in it, right? And the hand. And the other arm is like a dead arm and there's a there's a you know fishing wire you know fishing line joining the two of them together via the head so when this arm goes up the real arm the other arm goes down you know and you don't see that fishing line hardly ever so it's like real magic because the other hand the other real hand is up inside big bird's head operating the eyes and everything. of course like that stuff is they're just masters and it's it's they're so good at it you know my number two is again sort of a bit of a cheat but you'll probably appreciate why it's yoda the frank oz operated yoda and again sort of proven i wanted to have something frank oz in it and kind of for the same reasons i think frank oz is is one of those people who's such a kind of talent and i think of someone who does that sort of does everything and is this kind of avuncular figure in the culture who is always kind of behind all these things and you know became a film director in the 80s and was sort of this comic director and is this sort of comedian and puppeteer but also being good at them all it's not like someone who just does it tries to do a bit of everything and i really wanted some sort of franco's representation in my list and I wanted to do Yoda just because it's something which is there's so much life in that Yoda puppet which again it's it's doing it but in that kind of fantasy world and again tricking the eye and it's never really done better in Star Wars or in any of the other things Lucas did with um, later that sort of things like even things like the Dark Crystal they do it by having all the characters are puppets mm. uh, and there's bits of the bits of Yoda, which are done to trick the eye sometimes with a uh, deep Roy, of course, doing little bits of running and things, but there's a lot of, it's mainly just this bit of puppetry. And one of the things that when they made Yoda CGI, 
it was one of these things people kind of didn't like it. But still, there's an element of puppetry within that CGI. There isn't. There's um, also. It's still Frank Oz. Also, it's still. It's literally still Frank Oz on set. Yeah. For Phantom Menace, he, they, it was all done with the puppet, and then they replaced it afterwards with the CGI, and which mm. wasn't the case in the following two prequels. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't even have him there. Um, and you are losing something, and it is sort of why you know, they kind of bring him back now or when they're doing things in like the the Mandalorian to have the kind of what they call the baby Yoda is that thing where it's sort of important that it's a puppet. Mm. It, everything is done with puppets again because you know you're losing something. Uh, but I think the kind of performance of that character in, uh, I mean, the, of course, the Star Wars world isn't realistic. It's going to have lots of um, little... Uh, monsters or creatures or that aren't human looking but it is it's probably the most successful the idea that you totally buy into and of course you go oh it's a puppet of course you do if you kind of of course you can intellectualize it and know exactly what it is but it doesn't mean that it's not real within the scenes yeah it doesn't mean that when he's acting against mark hamill that it isn't doesn't feel like a real performance and it's probably you know you're probably gonna have to give Mark Hamill some some uh, uh, props for that as well because it's you know it is it all those scenes are really good and it's funny and it's a funny character who then is you have to take seriously so because this sort of performance where it's something someone doing something comic and then doing something serious it's, it's like uh, it's proper act it's acting it's acting with a with a puppet I just want to say my number two is also Yoda in my effort to have it all Frank Oz. Um, Frank Oz and uh, Catherine Mullen, who does the uh, the spare hand of Yoda, and I think does all his face facial stuff, his eyes and all that, because there's a lot of moving parts in his face. Um, and also, it was Yoda was designed by a guy called Stuart Freeborn um, at, at Lucasfilm, uh, not not Jim Henson. A lot of people think it's Jim Henson. It's not, you know. But yeah, like Yoda, the thing with Yoda of being like vo vocally, it's pretty similar to Grover kind of similar to Fozzie Bear, you know, like it's, it's, but it's so funny. Like it has a big range and that it's the weirdest thing that in Empire Strikes Back, it, every Star Wars film has the kind of light relief city characters, right? And they have the serious sort of gravitas, serious characters, right? In Empire Strikes Back, Yoda is both of them. You know, Yoda mm. is the like silly, like <laughs> knocking things over and all that stuff, you know, like throwing all the stuff out of his bag. He's the silly character. He's the Jar Jar Binks. And he's also the Alec Guinness. You know what I mean? Mm. He's also the Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's, he, he's both of those things. And he switches like that. You know, there's scenes where he's all laughing and then he's like, you know, and goes, you know, I can't teach him that stuff. But he switches like that. And yeah, Mark Hamill has to switch with it. They're just incredible scenes. Like the idea that it's like a small latexy puppet that's doing all this stuff. And it could be a lot of people's favorite character in the whole series. Like he's well up there mm. for me, you know? Yeah. And he also remains for the people that take Star Wars very seriously. They wouldn't see that character as being silly at all. Right. So the guys, who, <laughs> yeah. they might hate Ewoks or they might hate Jar Jar Binks or whatever, you know, or... They might be like me and kind of kind of hate C3PO, you know, like you know, I, I like how he looks, but um and he fits the but you know, but yeah, Yoda I never hear anyone slating off Yoda, but that's a puppet. It's a puppet with silly gags. 
you know? Yeah. Oh, praise the best. It's a really good performance. And again, it's that. And I think partly if it wasn't Frank Oz, I mean, I'm sure they would have always found a fairy talent and puppeteer and they would have needed that. Well, they asked for and Jim that's, Henson. That's exactly right. George Lucas asked Jim Henson and Jim Henson was like, I'm running this company. I've got films I'm making. I can't do it. Have Frank. Right. Okay. Because that's it. I mean, if, if if it was in the hands of a lesser talent. Or even an equal talent. If work. it was Jim Henson, it would be a much softer, more ethereal. You could see what you could imagine what kind of Yoda that would be, right? A Jim Henson mm -hmm. Yoda. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have that kind of comic to serious range in the same way. I mean, maybe it would be, it would be so different, you know, that gruffness, mm. that wildness that Frank Oz brings with his voicing where it's like, you know, like, <laughs> that's, you know, it's just absolute magic, absolute magic. And, and yeah, like the, the, the thing, the funny thing is when they replace him with CGI, because you still have Frank Oz doing the voice your brain does the same stuff it goes it doesn't look like him it doesn't look right it doesn't look quite right you know but you still got the right voice right so your your brain kind of you know blends over it and then he came back in for the 2017 i didn't know that was going to be in the film so then i was like wow spoilers um but i was you know i just love love to see that puppet and it, I, you know what what we should talk about this now because Star Wars does have some other puppets in it. Like Jabba the Hutt is a very complicated puppet. But like you were saying, yeah. Jabba doesn't convey any of the kind of uh, range emotions and stuff that Yoda does at all. It doesn't no. he just looks like a big sort of solid lump with a, a moving lip and a moving tongue and some eyes. Like it, where you know he's huge, but he still doesn't doesn't convey any of the same thing. Or and and then most of the other characters are kind of the, the other puppets don't really have to put in a performance it's it's but it's that's what it, that's what it's doing it's not uh you can have things you can have salacious crumb yeah right laughing, he just laughs and like points he, he, he yeah. feels very muppety he feels very he yeah. could be in dark crystal he could be in mm. you know something else but no yoda's like a performance that has to yeah mm. and again a, a character who believably breathes i always think is like uh feels living and breathing what could be better than yoda what's your number one well rather inevitably i would think my number one is your number five so my number one is kermit the frog which i almost use to represent all of uh jim henson essentially uh as being the kind of avatar for for that and i think it's more that there's something upsetting about the muppets not being real there's something that that's deeply unsettling about the idea of it and i, I almost that i don't particularly like talking about it now uh, i find it quite um uh i i, I read uh, uh bruce Forsyth's autobiography uh, about 10 or 15 years ago because of course i did of course. and there's a bit <laughs> there's a bit where he's talking about being on the muppet show and talking about leaving and seeing all the muppets hanging up and how eerie it was and even reading that it makes you go Ugh, that's horrible because they're again they're, they're sort of quite believable it sounds a childish in a way but there, there's something that you kind of like like we're talking about with those kids talking to Grover, it's that you can kind of imbue so much life into them. 
And also, I think the main thing, like, I I consider myself a Muppet fan, but I am far from being, like, there's a lot of Muppet stuff that I don't like. And I feel now there's an element to lots of people who are Muppet fans almost see it as a bit like, um, you know, they it's it's people don't like you being a bit negative about some of the stuff but i find some of it that it's almost like i want better from it mm. some of it is brilliant and there's bits of it where you're a bit like that's not really good enough that's not good enough and i think uh the the big turning point i think for me was that uh muppets remembered jim henson thing after jim henson died which i think is just such a kind of incredibly moving tv show which is all done with puppets and i defy anyone not to not to be in tears by the end of it because it's such a it's such a real thing and it's about puppets de- dealing with grief and also trying to explain what death is to the children and this it's it's sort of quite a i don't know it's it's a incredibly kind of uh like brilliant like it's for me when people like for me i i'm not a big fan of Muppets Christmas Carol. I think it's all right. <laughs> I think it's all right. I think it's like, I think it's mid-level Muppets. You're going to get some hate mail. Um, You're going to get some hate mail for that. Um, but like, I think I don't dislike it. I think it's like middling. Yet the Muppets, the great achievement of the Muppets is the Muppets Remember Jim Henson. Yeah. That is the, I think that's the height of it. And I think they're in, like, I really like the Muppet Show and I really like, because I like uh that sort of musical vaudeville thing with those characters really appeals to my sensibilities i really like seeing a thing especially made in that era with those kind of guest stars Mm. it appeals to me it appeals to things i like i like the market show a lot but like you say i think one of the best things about jim henson is sesame street i think sesame street is also this sort of is a is a genuinely magical show which is it is better than all the other like it's probably the best thing that they've done it's probably better than the muppet show it's got much more uh it's just as funny and it's more magic because of that kind of interaction with kids and because it's sort of believable uh the muppet show is like is a is a really good comedy show yeah and Sesame Street is something else. It's better than that. It's it's um, it's beyond its own genre or something. It's really like yeah. uh, an important show, and it's also like it's 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 an elevated show. It's a it's a sort of pretty incredible piece of work. And I'd put something like I think the Muppets Remember Jim Henson is is kind of where they mix those things right. and sort of create something which is genuinely like a sort of incredible piece of television and and the effect and it's sort of there's the effect it's ha- it had on the people that our age or a bit older or a bit younger that watched it and the thing about jim henson dying is it affected so many people and it in it it mm. shows you how much it affected the the people who worked with him but also all the mm. all the fans it's mad that he died at that time you know one of the most we were just talking about frank oz it's amazing you know playing yoda in 2017 and you know playing him in 1980 or playing cookie monster or you know grover or whoever for you know 30 years that's incredible and the idea that we didn't have that with jim henson and he he went at that moment you know mm. it was just hard, hard to deal with and, and 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 they 
they in hmm. that program they really tackled the problem of how do we do how do we go on how do we hmm. communicate this to our to our fans to the kids at home and stuff it's, it's astonishing and you know they they'd already done it on sesame street as well because they had mr hooper die hmm. you know and they they do with that it's not as moving but they that attitude of like well death happens we're going to incorporate that into into our thing yeah. and i think about things now i think about how many kids there are around the world who are crazy black panther fans you know mm. and um having had chadrick boseman yeah chadrick boseman dying last year they're gonna keep using the character or something they're not sure they haven't said but i don't think they're gonna they're not gonna be saying hey kids at home this guy's died and it, it's not the character it's the actor but we need to deal with you know and he was important and this is how to to be able to communicate that to your to your audience that stuff and take that responsibility for it it's mm. yeah it's the kind of sesame street like responsibility but with the kind of it's almost it's more affecting because it's the kind of funny fun guy characters of of uh, of the muppet show yeah it's it. I think that's like I think that's the height of it, and it's it's almost like it's almost like the height of culture. <laughs> it's like um, it's such a it's such a a, a huge uh, achievement, I think, and I think that's what that's why I'd have it as my. I mean, it's a bit of a cheat because I've basically incorporated the entire Henson Company into my number one choice. But you probably did what I did, which is go through all the Muppets and be like, "There's all these great Muppets," you know. You know, yeah, Fuzzy Bear's great. Ralph's great. You know, I mean, Rolf's great. Um, you know, I like Beaker. I like, I even like, you know, what's the guy, Pepe, the 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 uh, King Prawn. Uh, yeah, That's the last great one, right? That was like nineties one. Brilliant. You know, there's so, and then there's so many little characters. You know, something crazy about the Swedish Chef or whatever. Or you know, like the the there's so many great characters, but it seems totally like churlish to be like pick anyone other than Kermit because. He just sums up the whole thing, and he represents, you know, he represents he does. himself they, as well. Yeah, and he's he's this sort of. Um, in fact, he isn't always a great guy. He's this. He's a human being. Yeah. <laughs> he's not. He's got that like. Uh, he, but he's a, he's a he's a a good a good person. But he's not like the best. He's not perfect by any means. I bet you. You know, you were just talking about kind of being the the thing of. Being bigger culturally, there being this huge cultural thing, you know, what Jim Henson does and everything and with, with the two twin things of, of The Muppet Show and Sesame Street. But to me, it, it ranks with the absolute titans of American kids' culture of the mostly second half of the 20th century. You know, the, the, your Charles Schultz and your, your Carl Sandbergs and your... Um, I don't know, someone like Mr. Rogers doesn't doesn't transfer to mm. this country in the same way, but those kind of those absolutely huge Dr. Zeus, mm. you know, like th yeah, that, that would be mm. me, but you're like Schultz, Dr. Zeus, Jim Henson, Maurice Sendak, Maurice Sendak yeah, but I, lo I love Maurice Sendak, but you know, the, the number of his books that are phenomenal isn't that great in my opinion, because he changes his mm. art style so much and stuff, but yeah, and then he's brilliant, but it's that same, it's this sort of like pbs worthy for the people educational wholesome but witty like really smart intelligent people making mm. it that covers all those things 
it's 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 an incredible feeling that comes up in that kind of 50s 60s america for kids um and i should ask what is your number one my number one is a bit of a change it's a frank oz character <laughs> it's not a change at all it's a, a puppet whose name is sydney um or sid uh, that's his real name but he's better known as cookie monster and like I said, I would have had Grover as number one a few years ago, and maybe I would have had Yoda as number one when I was a young man, mm-hmm. you know? But I watch Sesame Street with my kids, and I play Sesame Street records with my kids, and Cookie Monster's just irrepressible childlikeness. And not I mean childlike as when people say, like, innocent and lovely and all that. Like, impulsive, completely lacking in sense just wants what they want eats everything like that's just that's what having no kids is like like having a bunch of cookie monsters around (laughs) and ah i love him it's just the most yeah like exuberant performance the puppet is amazing there's a thing now this is the thing where frank also it's another frank was one right there's the voice and the puppetry right and he is one where there's one there's one hand inside the face doing Mm -hmm. the mouth the eyes are just googly eyes. So when you walk all the, the eyes wiggle around, right? And the other hand is in the in the, in the left hand, the left hand of, of Cookie Monster. And his right hand is generally just pinned to his chest. Or if they want the right hand for something, somebody else has to operate that, right? But, and the guy who does the voice now, what's he called? He's uh, David Rudman. He's cool. He does the voice really good, right? but he can't do the puppeteering as well because there's a thing with cookie monster that, that frank oz does where the hand you know his hands are kind of feathery and they have kind of feathery fluff coming off it's a fluffy monster they have fluffy bit coming off the end almost like nails and he does this kind of like flappy hand thing and he drums his fingers on the desk and he kind of combs his beard as if he's you know finding crumbs and stuff and when he eats it the hand, what he does with his hand, not the hand inside the puppet face, but the <laughs> free hand is magic. Like he puts so much personality into that hand. It's like the hand itself should get some kind of Oscar or something, you know, like both hands of Frank Oz are master actors, you know, and it's Cookie Monster, phenomenal. he's got the best songs, you know, Sears for Cookies, obviously famous one but my favorite song of his on the on the series cookie album which is sitting behind me is a duet with another great character is uh, count von count voiced by uh jerry nelson who so he's not one of the big two and and he does a version of um if i knew you were coming out of baked a cake and Cookie Monster is like, if I knew, if we knew you were coming, me to bake the cake, one cake, bake the cake, two cakes, bake the cake, three cakes, and uh, it's just a. And he's like, how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Free? How'd you do?s I just, it's the best stuff. And you imagine these guys are. <laughs> big shout to Joe Raposo who wrote all the Sesame Street songs and stuff, but they these guys were going into the studio and recording their puppet characters. And I want to know, they must have taken the puppet in, right? There's no way they just recorded them in a vocal booth with a microphone. I think you kind of need it as well. Like you probably need it to get into the right voice and things. Totally. I can't, I don't think, I'm not sure you could do it 
um, I want to see like a, by a montage video, like the We Are the World video, but with the Sesame mm -hmm. Street characters in the in the studio with headphones <laughs> on, like recording their their parts. No, I just I don't know, I don't know what to say about Cookie Monster. He's still great. He's still on Sesame Street. He's on the Furchester Hotel that the BBC make. That's a spin-off. Mm -hmm. um, my kids love him. I love him. He's the, to me, he's the most Frank Oz of all the Frank Oz. He doesn't have the range of Yoda. You know, he's not as tender and em, 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 emotionally meaningful as uh, Grover or, or uh, Bert or something, you know, with those emotional moments, he's pretty basic, but he's just like, the, to me, the most magic, the most, even more so than Yoda. It's like, I look at Cookie Monster and I'm like, that's a guy I know. I love that guy. He's got the most charisma in the world. I love that guy and he has a character, you know, like he has, sure. he's a person. Sure. And not to diminish what you've just said, but it's also great when he puts cookies in his mouth and they crumble up. It's great when he puts cookies in his mouth. It's, and you, <laughs> you know, they can't use real cookies. So they have to bake these kind of like crazy cookies with funny recipes with hot glue as the chips so they don't damage the mouth and stuff i've read a thing which was like for furchester hotel now they they bake 200 is it 200 or 600 of these huge cookies a week just for filming mad you know what though on something like that they'd have to struggle to get them away from the kids i don't think i'd be able to see those uh 600 cookies without being kind of a bit trying to grab one or just trying to have a pinch of a one of these cookies that Cookie Monster would otherwise scoff. Do you remember when you used to go to the NFT uh, bar on the on the on the Thames on the waterfront yeah. and they sold those giant cookies? Yes. And, and yeah. you, as a kid, you'd see you could see them through the window and you'd want one because they looked like Cookie Monster cookies. They were so big, they never tasted that good, but you really wanted them because there was the only place I remember seeing cookies that big. Not big, you know, <laughs> Cookie Monster mouth-sized cookies. I don't know. I just like, and I, I watched all the clips of, cause the character had been around like evolving through the sixties. They, they had this green monster with sharp teeth in an advert that Jim Henson was doing. And then, you know, then, and then he was in some other IBM, like internal training video joke thing where he's like, there's a coffee, coffee machine and it blows up and he tries to eat bits of it and stuff. And then, um, yeah, it's not quite Cookie Monster. And then when they start Sesame Street, they're like, well, we just use this monster. We'll take the sharp teeth out and we'll we'll make him blue. And, you know, and then they get, but they give it to, then he hands it over to Frank Oz. And that's where the magic happens. It's like the, the, the collaboration between Henson and Frank Oz is, is the magic of all these things. So I have picked the most unvaried list, but I went through everything and was just like, no, I can't get any of these other guys into my list. I can't get, I can't take any of these out. You've got a top five Frank Oz. I've got, no, I've got, Henson does one and a half and Frank Oz does three and a half. Okay. All but right. basically I just couldn't, I mean, the other ones that I was trying to get in, you mentioned like Gordon the Gopher or something, you know, the, the first other one for me, early one was the crow. Do you remember the Scouse crow from Saturday Superstore? Yeah, that was just kind of rubbish. But that was the first one. I think that was that was the first one where it was like interacting with people because Button Moon was its own show, its yeah. own world, right? 
we're talking about this thing where they have to interact with people when you've got this stupid crow with a scouse accent really rough scouse accents talking to um mike reed or mike reed sarah green or something sarah green and uh that was but he's rubbish as well i mean i like but then gordon the gopher <laughs> just not expressive enough and just you know squeaky no. and stuff is not that great no. just, watch if you watch gordon the gopher back it just makes you appreciate uh philip schofield more because he's the one who's making that work he's great yeah yeah, I think a lot of them don't really have a lot of personality. I mean, honourable mention to someone like uh, a Zig and Zag or something who are uh, genuinely funny. I like Cosmo and Dibs, although that's very much a BBC trying to do Sesame Street show. Yeah, Cosmo and Dibs are weird because they're always looking down. They're like looking down. At the... They never look up. It's, there must have been something about the puppet where they couldn't do it and they're just constantly looking down at the floor. <laughs> very weird. Like, they, yeah, they just couldn't quite get there. I had some ones from films like the rock biter from never ending story oh yeah that's a puppet yeah, it's a nice but it's it's kind of a stationary puppet um ludo from labyrinth there's a lot in labyrinth but that's the one i like best and that's the only one that i thought of that is a person inside puppet like big bird you know a person inside mm. with a, a hand up to do the face and a hand outside like i like him i the, the one i was trying to squeeze into my top five was george from rainbow as his Wikipedia says very, very clearly, is an effeminate anthropomorphic pink hippo, which is amazing thing to be in the in the seventies. I, I, I'm still fond of George. I still think George is funny. Sure, rather than the more showboaty uh, Zippy. Zippy's voice is annoying, but you know the mm. same guy did the voice of both of them mm. at the same time. Like you know, so he was he was operating one of them. But doing both their voices. He's someone whose name I would know at, at, at some point in the past. Roy Skelton. Gone. Roy Skelton. Yeah, that's right. Roy Skelton. And the weird thing, I mean, Rainbow is awful. Rainbow is awful. But I really have a, I want to say a soft spot for George. But I, I, I think George is like suitably bizarre and funny. And Zippy's like, yeah, not in the same way. But like, it's such a weird show if you go and watch some of that. Why does Bungle have a normal voice? Like the other two have like funny voices and Bungle's just like, oh, I say, George, you know, what's going on? I've had enough. Like, wh why? He's like a big, ugly bear. Why does he have a <laughs> normal voice? It doesn't make any sense. The show is mm. terrible. Terrible. And, you know, those clips of them, like, doing the, like, joke innuendo -y episode for ITV and Eternal oh, yeah. Christmas Party or whatever it was. And also they went on, like, a, there's, a, there's a clip of them with, like, Jim Davidson. There's, oh, yeah. there's a clip of them with Jim Davison, like on a game showy thing where they're all swearing and stuff, and it really puts you off them. It's like, Ugh. I don't like any of that. Like any of that, where um, Keith Harrison Orville and doing a blue a blue version of their act. No. It's like, just don't do it. Retire. Yeah, I'm not into Retire. That. Don't do a kid's thing. Not into that. So, just, I, re I really hate all that stuff. I do what one I do like uh, Lamb Chop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean yeah. Lewis Lamb Chop. That's really funny. Like, that was, you'd only see that on like, um, sort of throwback programs, you know, that clip shows it'd be like, mm. you know, this is, this was the good stuff back in the day. Cause you know, but she was great. She was great. And that's just a sock. My family had always, um, uh, visit a restaurant at Christmas and things in, uh, in Soho, there was an Italian restaurant, family restaurant called Topo Gigio that was named after the puppet mouse. And I always quite liked that in the restaurant they would have 
like uh, wooden statues of this mouse puppet. But I wasn't really familiar with the puppets. It was before my time. But now I have since looked up Topa Gijo, who is uh, a, a puppet mouse with uh, a comic exaggerated Italian accent. But the act is great. It's a marionette and it's a real impressive act. It's like, well done. And you see it at places like um, I've seen it done on Sunday night, London Palladium and things. Mm. And you go, it must be tiny for the audience, but it is a really like, it's a really impressive. Yeah, that's like, that's like the top of Gijo. Act. That's like watching the, the lamb chop at the London Palladium or something. It's like, it's literally a sock on this woman's arm on a huge stage. You know, like there's no, there's no, there's no, it's not like now where you'd have a big TV screen showing you the close up, mm. you know, they're just kind of going, I guess there's something there on her arm. I, I, I want to, you know, we were talking about the little angel at the start, but the little angel did a production of Angelo book seventies book by Quentin Blake, which was one of my favorite books as a kid. And I saw their show as a kid in the eighties and they just when they finished a show they you know it tours or whatever and then they stick it all in the cupboard and they they bring it back out again and so i got to take my kids to see the same angelo show um at, at the same little angel theater that i saw 30 years earlier or whatever you know then that was quite no, that was quite nice. something that was quite something our puppets are fantastic i don't know just love them um, I should say as well that uh, today's episode of List Stuff has been brought to you not by the Children's Television Workshop, but by uh, a couple of our viewers or listeners, and they are Dave Russell and Graham Murphy, who came up and suggested Muppets, uh, not Muppets, they, we basically have done Muppets, <laughs> suggested puppets for, <laughs> for us this week. Uh, and that's just a reminder as well that if you've got any uh lists that you would like us to do a top five of uh to make your suggestions known to us in either the comments or if you're writing an itunes review or you can find us on twitter and instagram on list off pod and you can make your suggestions of anything that you would like us to do a top five of and very slowly we will get through as many of these as we can yeah i mean this one is very up our street so it was like let's do that one yeah We'll do this. We'll do some puppets. I'm going to put some links up on in the show notes, but also on um, worldofproper.com slash listoff uh, with just some of the great clips that I was looking at this week leading up to this. Like, you've got to see the Sesame Street Tiny Desk concert. That's quite touching. Um, and the, the, the camera test from the Muppet movie. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't think so. It's, um, it's Kermit and rolf behind a tree like in i guess like jim henson's garden or something and they're just improvising talking rubbish just so they can i don't know they're just you know they're just filming it on a low low quality camera or something you know and um it's just it's just great like there's something so funny about puppet outtakes when they stay in character like like the emmett otter's jug band outtakes from the Jim Henson oh, yeah. film, like all that stuff. They they stay in character and they'll be like looking at the things happening and, you know, looking at the camera. Oh, then this is something I wanted to say. When you were talking about like um, the Jim Henson dying show and all that, that there's a there's a quote I read from uh, Steve Whitmire who took over, who was already working with Henson and took over. He kind of said, you, you, you need to take over Kermit 
and they sent him the Kermit puppet so he could start practicing. And he said he, you know, he got the puppet out and sat in front of the mirror and he put it on. And he had, you know, he looked back at himself with Kermit and he just broke down, couldn't say anything, put it away. He said he put it away in his cupboard for a month. He couldn't, he couldn't do it, you know. And he said, he said it smelt, it smelt like Jim. The puppet smelt like Jim, you know. That's, that really got to me. And, uh, well, that's that. I mean, the whole thing of that Muppets Remember Jim Henson is the, uh, the ending because, of course, throughout the episode, uh, Kermit is missing. And it's a horrible thing to watch because you assume it's based on the idea that, well, Kermit's gone because there's no Jim Henson anymore. And it's him, Kermit, turning up at the end with a new voice is the thing which is like the kind of, oh, it's going to go on. It's still going to go on. It's still, it's that kind of, Kermit's not dead. It's still carrying on. Beautiful, beautiful piece of TV. Beautiful piece of TV. Yep. We'd have a crying ending of the show. Thanks, <laughs> Sad ending. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.